Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. There is just one week to go until Election Day. One week to go. Seven days. Amanda Carpenter, do you ever think we'd get here? Yes, I've been praying for it every day. I mean, all these people are saying, oh, I can't believe it's happening. I can believe it. I've been counting the days since he was elected. So, yes, we're, we're getting here. It's believable. It's happening. Cue the Ron Paul gif. Ah! Well, yeah, okay. Now, it's interesting because I, I, I do that countdown journal as well, and I try to get people's moods. And, and there, was, there was some sort of palpable breakthrough of optimism last week. You could just see that people were kind of willing to kind of poke their heads up and think, is it too soon? Can I actually think that 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 Biden's going to that you know Trump is going to be defeated? That we're going to you know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Today, for some reason, you tell me whether you have a different take on this. It feels like the Democratic freakout is yeah. is is full blown. It's just today. It, are you picking up the same thing? Like, why is everybody freaking out today? Yeah, it started yesterday. I started okay. getting some messages from some of my Democratic friends saying, "Oh no, he uh, he's going to win." It, it's over. He's going to win. And it's like, I feel like this is like going to a theme park. Like you get really excited to go. You count the days till vacation. You get in the park. You're jumping up and down. You can't wait to get there. And then when it gets time to climb on that roller coaster ride and you look at that big hill, you get scared. You don't know if you can do it, but strap in, buckle up. We're going on the ride. Um, and that's, I, that's I do sense analogy. a lot of a lot of anxiety. And at this point, there's nothing you can do. Call your friends, make sure they're voting. If they have an absentee ballot, march it to the local elections office. Don't put it in the mail at this point. Go for a walk, put in your AirPods, listen to the Bulwark Pod, and wait it out. So is, is there some reason, objective reason why they're freaking out or is it just the just the psychology of it? Because I was looking at the polls yesterday and there's nothing new. I mean, there's there's been kind of a we've been kind of in an, uh, a desert of, of polling waiting for the big ones to come out. We had that one poll, you know, the New York Times Siena poll that kind of threw some cold water on Texas. Um, but the early voting numbers appear to be rather remarkable. Uh, the consistency of the the, the poll numbers um, kind of remarkable. No indication that the the race has changed since last Thursday. So, are they picking up on data, or is this just is this a mood thing? It's a mood, mood thing. Mood, mood and, thing. It, and here's my theory: it's because there's no more events to look forward to. The debates are over. Um, it's just the waiting now. Yeah, now it's the waiting, and the waiting is the worst part. It's it's the worst part of everything. Like when you got to go get your shot, you're waiting for that shot to come in. And it's the waiting that makes it seem scarier than it actually is. Um, but yeah, there's nothing else to do but wait. And election night is going to be, oh, people are going to freak out on election night and everything that doesn't look good for Biden. But this is what I would say, because I don't, I, I'm not freaking out because Biden couldn't be any more well positioned than he is right now. Well, you told me right before we started this because I was I was asking, you know, what's the latest breaking news? Because I was working on a piece um, which you can find at the Bulwark, the the middle finger election, which is a riff <laughs> off of National Review's piece about that. That really, if Trump wins, it's because America is giving a big middle finger to the left, which which True. I don't think is, which I don't think is wrong. But I, well, I, I I have some thoughts on this. But I asked you whether there was any news, and and you mentioned that we have some stories about Michael Bloomberg dumping in a bunch of money at the last minute. 
Yes. Uh, here's a middle finger for you. Um, Mike Bloomberg is going to spend $15 million on Texas and Ohio because he found in his polling, which he has a massive data operation, that Trump only has tiny leads in those states. And so Bloomberg is putting his money where his mouth is. And that's going to be in Texas and Ohio. And so all these people that were waiting for him to do something, which I was in that camp, um, here it is. Happy Interesting. Yeah, I mean, for people who are saying, well, I wish it was more money, $15 million is a hell of a lot of money in one week. I mean, I don't care where you are. I mean, keep, keep in mind that there comes a certain point where you can't buy, you can't spend enough money. And I think a lot of Democrats are in that position. But that, see, this is what's so interesting about this. Texas and Ohio, that means they're on offense. They're not playing defense. And they're putting more states on the map. The fact that we're even talking about Texas and Ohio, oh that we're talking about Georgia, um, tells you where this race is at. Because at the beginning of the year, if you and I were sitting down sort of gaming out what the Electoral College fight would look like, we would not be talking about Georgia, Ohio, and Texas at all. Yeah. Can you so, imagine the psychological impact on whatever's left of the Republican Party if Biden wins Texas? No, 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 no. See, see, you're getting ahead of yourself. Okay, let me talk I, about Texas for. Can I just talk about Texas for a minute? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that would blow. I mean, basically, that's the end of them as a national party. I mean, it, it would be, it would be. It may, that's why I'm taking a deep breath and not listen, getting. Listen, I'm not saying it's likely, but if there was a scenario in a year for it to happen. Mm, it's probably oh, yeah. it. Georgia may be more likely, which is also, uh, you want to talk about a transformation of American politics. I am fascinated by the Georgia Senate race with Kelly Loeffler and Doug Collins. Fascinated. Well, it's one of those jungle elections. It, it, for people who are get confused about this, you actually have two Republicans that are still on the ballot and probably headed to a runoff. You had the Democrat who's leading rather substantially, but has to get to 50%. If if Warnock, is that the Democrat's name? Mm -hmm. Gets 50%, he, he goes to the Senate. But if he doesn't, there's a runoff. And then whatever Republican is in the number two position faces off against him. And you have, well, tell me what fascinates you. I mean, I just think the, yeah. the, the way that they're competing with one another, who can be more of a, a Trumpian exactly. bootlicker? Yeah, I mean, it's, boot, it's the And boot, by the way, is a euphemism here. Yeah, it's the jockeying between Kelly Loeffler and Doug Collins, who's a longtime Georgia representative who people probably uh, most remember for his uh, performance defending Trump through impeachment. But the whole idea, Kelly Loeffler, she was appointed to the seat after Johnny Isaacson retired. And the governor there thought, oh, you know, she's filthy rich, has made tons of money, thought she was the perfect woman to help him appeal to suburban Republican women, right, um, when he runs for re-election in the coming years. So this was the whole play. They thought it would be easy. Um, Mitch McConnell and the establishment Republicans loved her because she was willing to self-fund and also donate a ton of money to uh, her Republican friends. She made inroads in the Republican Party because she and her husband donated like a million dollars to Mitt Romney super PACs. And so she mm. has essentially paid her way into the game. And everyone thought this was just going to be a great idea because here's this successful businesswoman where we can do the girl boss thing and she will fund our elections too. Well, guess what? Um, all her money wasn't enough to scare off a primary challenge from the right by Doug Collins. And so instead of expanding the tent and trying to court those Republican voters that Trump has driven off, she is in this slimy race to the bottom with Doug Collins. She is 
I, I wrote a piece about her for the Bulwark called uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Classless because they're, they're, she's, she's going around becoming best buddies with prob- the poster girl for QAnon who's going to Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Right. Like they campaign together. Um, They have events where the Georgia militia escorts them around like their security force. And keep in mind, she doesn't need that. They they don't need that. She's, like I said, incredibly rich and also a United States senator. So she actually needed protection. It wouldn't come in the form of the Georgia militia. Okay, Um, she's done. She did those ads, which you, of course, Mm -hmm. you remember styling herself as Attila the Hun. And if you just look at her Twitter feed. It is it is embarrassing the way you know she tries to paint herself as a hundred percent supporter of Trump. In fact, in the last debate, uh, the moderator asked her, "Do you disagree with Trump on anything?" And she said, "No, no, I have hundred percent voting record with Donald Trump." And so she's trying to now paint herself as like the real Trump conservative. And Doug Collins is a, a pro-abortion squish, which is you know you can have problems with Doug Collins, but he is a former Navy chaplain. You know, I think he's authentic about what he is, even though I disagree with the direction he's gone. And so, but what? long story short, what's fascinating about this race is that these are uh, Republicans running in very safe Republican country, right? They could position themselves any way they wanted and they should be able to win. But this is what they're doing because this is where this the Republican is- base is at. Like this is a test tube case of it is Trump based politics and, and and how the campaign that you're describing would alienate those swing voters, alienate the voters you would normally be appealing to in a general election. So this is still like a quasi primary election being played out in, with a general election uh, electorate, which is which is strange. You know, this reminds me of what's happened to the Republican Party in Arizona. One of the reasons why Arizona um, has been trending blue is because the Republican Party there has just lost its mind. It's because they competed with one another, sort of the race to the the the, the, the kooky fringe. You had who, who was it? Kelly was it Kelly Ward? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. Chemtrail Kelly was running for senate. <laughs> she's now the, the the chairman there. Interesting that in Texas, uh, they they went and they got uh, uh, Alan West That's right. to be there. So what's been happening in a lot of these states is that. At the moment when their control is most at risk, they've decided to become the, you know, head off to the fever swamps. So what yeah, another add on to that is that two Republican women appointed to the Senate in the form of Kelly uh, Loeffler and Martha McSally are doing terribly. Yeah. The Republican Party, these women they've appointed, you can also throw Cindy Hyde Smith into that category. Um, in they're terrible. Yeah. Yes. They, they, I mean, you you find these people that have never actually created a successful winning campaign, and then you give them a Senate seat, and you wonder why it doesn't turn out well. Wow. So, okay, let me go back to to Texas, because I I think some people were discouraged by that New York Times-Siena poll that showed Biden down four points in Texas. Um, uh, By the way, on- on, (laughs) It's funny, they're sad. I mean, exactly. He's only down four points. Yeah, take take a deep breath. So I, I was I was actually on with Steve Kornacki yesterday, and I asked him the, the question about Texas, and he he basically said there's three numbers to keep in mind: sixteen, nine, and three. Okay, mm-hmm. sixteen points was the margin Mitt Romney won Texas uh, by in 2012. So it was you know a, even Mitt Romney won by sixteen points. Trump won by nine points, but that's down from sixteen points, and then. 
Ted Cruz beats Beto O'Rourke by only three points. So you've gone from a 16-point Republican lead in Texas to a nine-point uh, lead to a three-point lead. So you can see the direction. But the interesting thing, the most interesting thing about this New York Times-Siena poll that got some people, oh, that we might not win Texas. Let me just read you this, this one finding from this. The findings suggest that Republicans face catastrophic risks down ballot, even if Trump wins. Biden leads him by five percentage points, 48 percent to 43 percent across the 12 predominantly suburban congressional districts that the Cook Political Reporter has rated as competitive. These districts voted for Trump by eight points in 2016. So let's just go back here. So these are districts. Trump won by eight points. He is now losing them by five points. Do the math. That is a 13-point swing. In these districts, Republicans face a combination of rapid demographic change and previously unthinkable Democratic gains among white college-educated voters. Mr. Trump leads Biden by just two points among white college graduates in these districts, even though they backed Trump by 24 points over Hillary Clinton in 2016. So you you dig down into some of these polls, and what you're seeing is this, this rather dramatic erosion of some of Trump's support. So some of these congressional uh, district-level polls are really flashing red for political pros who are seeing what's going on here. Yeah, and it's especially bad news for Trump because those particular suburban areas, which um, are flashing red on a district level, they're more populated than the rural areas where he's hoping yeah. to have strong support. I mean, that that means there's there's more people that will vote in the suburbs and cities than in rural areas. Yeah. And when elections for president are counted statewide, not on a district level, but on a mass level, that spells big trouble. Yeah. So let's talk about what should we talk about? Should we talk about Jared Kushner um, oh, um, and, yes. and Ivanka? Or was my it, new favorite I'm, life coach. I, I'm, I'm sort of I'm sort of trying to work my way up to talk about the Supreme Court and all of that stuff, because that feels like heavy lifting. Well, that's you know? going to be a hard transition. So let's have well, some fun for now. See there. Yeah, there, there's there's two approaches to life. There's the eat the frog approach to life. And then there's the ease into it. OK, the eat the frog is if you have like really an unpleasant job you have to talk about, you know, to do just do it right away. Just yeah. get it off. So eat the frog. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to eat the frog person. Okay, but but I think today we're going to be the opposite of that. We're going to just we're going we're gonna to ease into it because we've got some heavy lifting to do on <laughs> on this Wisconsin Supreme Court decision and yeah, okay. Supreme, uh, Supreme Court decision about Wisconsin and others. All right, well, so, let me get uh, out my delicate knife and fork. So, Jared Kushner, life coach. Mm -hmm. Let's just talk about him. Go ahead, just do do this. Let's well, talk about Jared Kushner. I want to talk about the billboards, but I think you want to talk about his life coach and the the empathy that he has for the African-American community. Yeah, well, the empathy for them. Uh, yeah, how much he wants them to succeed. More than they do. Right, more than they do. Donald Trump, I guess he was doing an interview on Fox and Friends. He wouldn't go anywhere else besides Fox and Friends um, yesterday. And they were asking, how's Trump doing? Economic success? Why isn't this working? And Kushner's explanation was, well... Donald Trump can't want them to be successful more than they do. So this is the old trope. You know, if you're not successful, especially if you're uh, a minority, you're just lazy. You're just lazy. This yeah, is where I mean, he's going they, 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 they should be more like, like Jared Kushner and have daddy pay $3 million to whatever Ivy League school it was that he went to. 
Um, you know, it, yeah, it, and gifted it, him, made him a slumlord, and have a father-in-law who will give you a White House appointment, right? Why yeah, didn't we? Like, why didn't? Why didn't they think the old-fashioned, the old-fashioned way of pulling yourself up by your by your bootstraps? See, I, I thought you, would, you wanted to talk about Ivanka and Jared and the and the billboards, which is classic. Uh, our friends at the Lincoln Project, who uh, spend a lot of time living in their heads. And, and I will be honest with you, sometimes I think, you know, OK, right now, um, you know, keep your eye on the prize of the election, the trolling into people's heads. You know, it may, it may be fun, but, you know, but but they they have they have an instinct. I mean, they go right for it. So they put up these two big billboards. I mean, they are big in Times Square with Ivanka and, and Jared basically dismissing the number of deaths from the coronavirus, not basically dismissing them. And um, instead of shrugging them off, Jared and Ivanka decide they're going to threaten the Lincoln Project with a lawsuit, which means, as anyone would have been able to tell them, that those billboards would now get 100 times as much attention as they would have otherwise. These people are really dumb, aren't they? Well, I think they're used to living a certain lifestyle, right? Where if you see something you don't like, you get a lawyer to send a mean letter and people get scared and they go away. That That's the bubble that they live in, mm -hmm. uh, that they'll probably never be able to go back to. But I, I got to see, and th those are worthy and good shots to take at them because they deserve it. And I'm fine with it. But I'm much more worried about Donald Trump Jr. in terms of who's going to have a lasting effect on Republican politics and what we have to deal with going forward. Um, he's a threat. He's the one out going through the country, building up candidates like Christy Noem, who is taking her second trip to New Hampshire with Corey Lewandowski as as her advisor this week, um, <sighs> and so I don't I don't These know people where are not Jared going and away. Go. No. Yeah, I don't know where Jared and Ivanka go. They're gonna get they're gonna be on some corporate board and do some philanthropy yeah. crap. They, they may okay. not get invited back to the Met Ball. Yeah, I just I, the billboards are great. I just I don't care. <laughs> about them living their lifestyle. I am much more concerned about Trump Jr. and the grassroots movement he's built up with people uh, the likes of Charlie Kirk um, because that kind of meme-tastic QAnon-type campaigning isn't going away, and they're going to go out west and, and keep pushing it. I, I bet money on it. Well, I and, and I and I think they are more in tune with this mood, this middle finger election mood, which is that we don't really care about ideas or policies. We just want to say F you to the woke culture and we want to trigger you. And yeah. they, they, they understand that. And I and I think that to that extent, they speak that language of the base better than the, you know, the Josh Hollies of the world or the Tom Cottons of the world who. I think, and I'm not, and I'm, I'm not boosting them here, but at, at least I think are still under the impression that you need to have ideas and policies <laughs> to be elected. Yeah, and, and Tom Cotton's another one that's been going around to these states. He's been going to Georgia and he's been turning up. What a lot of these Republicans are doing is that they're going out and laying the groundwork for their own presidential campaigns under the guise of supporting Trump right now. Um, Nikki Haley's also doing that to some extent. But I, I'm telling you, Christy Noem is, is among the most active. In a it is that 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 is interesting. OK, so let's talk about the Supreme Court, because we are talking. Uh, it is October 27th, 2020, seven days until the election. And last night, the U.S. Senate confirmed Amy, Amy Coney Barrett to a lifetime position on the Supreme Court, solidifies a 6-3 conservative majority with an asterisk on it. And then she's sworn in at the White House. And I. I 
I, I can't I can't get over the fact that this is not the consuming story of the week, but it's it's not. Um, and there are a lot of folks um, and, and a lot of folks who are in our in our audience who are, are wondering, well, why why didn't any of these Republicans break from the president on 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 this? Why? Why did they all go along with Amy Coney Barrett? Because getting Supreme Court seats is one of the only good things that's come out of the Trump presidency for most Republicans. I, I get this question a lot too. Don't don't Republicans regret backing Kavanaugh? Aren't they upset? You know, why didn't they oppose Amy Coney Barrett? And it's like, it, why would they? I don't understand this. There's this resistance idea that among the left, that if you are Republican opposed to Trump, you're going to give up all your Republican values and ideas and become a progressive. No, that is not is what happening. If you want to find common cause to stop the excesses in, you know, of Donald Trump, of course, yes, we want to stop Trump. But giving up everything else to do that when you can have a clear court seat, it is never made any sense. That said, I, I do have issues with the way these confirmations were conducted, um, the judgment that they've showed throughout this process. You know, when she was first announced, I can tell you I was excited at the prospect of finally getting a female conservative Supreme Court justice, although it did great on me for quite some time that they waited to pick her until they had a third pick. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, all these guys want to say, oh, look at this working mom, blah, blah, blah. Shut up. You waited. You, you had two first before you got to a woman. So don't really give me that. Maybe on the third time you got it right. Um, so I, I'm not there for that kind of virtue signaling. And through her confirmation process, I I am very disturbed by the fact she couldn't answer a couple of straightforward questions regarding whether an election can be delayed, <laughs> whether there should be a peaceful transfer of power, or whether voter intimidation at the polls was legal. Those are huge red flags for me, in addition to her decision to participate in two super spreader events yeah. held in her honor. Okay? So, judgment. you know, in theory... I don't oppose, you know, filling that seat. But as a conservative Republican, I have problems with the judgment she showed through that process. Yeah, I, I, I don't really have, a, a, this will disappoint some people, I don't have a lot of problems with her. I thought she, for those the for the reasons you just mentioned, I thought she botched a couple of those questions. But the larger problem, though, is this raw exercise of political power last night. Um, and yes, the Republicans are very proud of themselves because they, they had the votes. And so they they figured they were going to ram it through, which means that she is the first she's she is the first Supreme Court justice to be confirmed without any bipartisan support since 1869. So that tells you how long it has been since we we had Supreme Court justices that did not have the support of a single member of the opposition party. There's long-term institutional damage. And I understand that, that in a you know, middle finger election, people don't care about that. But um, there's real damage to the institution, to the whole Senate confirmation process, but also to the legitimacy of the court, because we are now going into a, into a, into a period where that court may be asked to make rulings on the election. I'm talking very short term right now. And the court's legitimacy is a matter of public opinion and public respect. 
They don't have any armies. They don't have any marshals. Um, they, they, they rely on the traditions um, and the respect that the rest of society and other institutions have for them. And if you erode that, bad things are going to happen. And you know, I was watching this last night and, and thinking, okay, this is, you know, the, the Republicans are spiking the football. And of course, Lindsey Graham, uh, being Lindsey Graham, uh, goes on Fox News and tries to raise money. By the way, do we have a sound clip of that? Because here's <laughs> Lindsey Graham after this is the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, moments after uh, the, the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice. And this is how he spends his time. We're in a fight for our life. Help me, help all of us keep our seats so we can do this four more years. LindsayGraham.com. All right, Senator. Oh, Jesus. I mean, (laughs) this whole thing was gross. I mean, the more I think about it now, because I kind of tuned out of it last night after I saw the first couple pictures. But but this is the problem. Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh look like stooges because Mm -hmm. they bought into this process. Kavanaugh is a Republican bro. Right. That was a selling point in Amy's gone along with all this. And I, I, I want Republican conservative judges to dazzle people with their arguments and their intellect and their fidelity to the law. These, these aren't the people that are going to do it. I'm sorry. I'm just going to call it now in watching that process last night where the white house got turned into yet another commercial and people standing up and clapping for the judge. Like it's some huge victory fundraising off it. That. That's as gross so her as first gets. act as a Supreme Court justice, because Supreme Court justices become justice instantly. It, it, there's, there's no there's no transition period. It's really kind of interesting. Her first act is basically to go to a political rally a week before the election. So if there's one thing you do not want a Supreme Court yeah. justice to do, it's actually be a political prop at a campaign event, which that was last night. So I, I think the larger thing is the, is the way this is going to radicalize the the entire process. I am against court packing, but um, it seems to me that, uh, you know, you, you, you've moved the window of acceptable behavior and that when you make your opponents desperate, when you basically say the rules are, uh, it's all about the raw exercise of power. And if we have the votes, we're going to do whatever we damn well please. Well, you know what? That rule works for the other side as well. And I'm concerned about this. Okay, so... This yeah. then comes in the context of a Supreme Court decision. And I'm look, I'm going to admit that I have not read through every bit of it. Supreme Court decision involving my state of Wisconsin, where they had wanted to allow votes that had been cast, that had been mailed by Election Day. You put them in the mailbox, but hadn't been received um, that they were with I'm sorry, they were proposing allowing them to be counted up to three days after the election, as long as they were postmarked before the election. The Supreme Court ruled 5-3 yesterday. No, they're not going to change that rule. So therefore, any of those ballots will be thrown out. Once again, the Republicans, uh, the Republican litigation will result in people's votes not being counted, the literal disenfranchisement of, of anyone. The what a lot of people are focusing on is Brett Kavanaugh's uh, comment um, that that basically sounded like it was a Trump tweet that um, elections are called on election night. And there's a danger that votes that come in after Election Day um, are going to flip the election and all of the concerns about fraud and everything, which, of course, is possible. But to, to see a Supreme Court justice actually articulating that sort of thing is bothering a lot of people. 
And it certainly gave the impression that this is a court that is prepared to be very aggressive in intervening in what is very likely to be a blizzard of legal challenges to the results. Well, let me say something that'll make everybody upset. The Supreme Court ruling, in my view, was correct, although Kavanaugh's opinion was stupid. Let me explain. States do set election laws. Right. The Wisconsin state did not agree. Sorry, the Wisconsin state legislature never passed a law agreeing to count ballots after the election. That was a measure taken um, by other officials in light of the pandemic. That was a gamble on their part. Okay. That was a gamble. It got challenged and the Supreme Court ruled the way it did because state legislature set election law. Okay, this is mm-hmm. this is the problem in all these states that are challenged challenging these things. The changes that were made because of coronavirus, which I agree with, which I would support. If I were a Republican member in those legislatures, I would vote for them a hundred percent. They did not go through the legal process. That yeah. is a problem. It was not made into law. And so now this is a jump ball in all these courts. And in some places, um, you know, Democrats are winning versus Republican, but This gets to my other everlasting complaint is that people are looking for the courts to solve their problems and you need to pass laws so they aren't challenged. We need to find agreement through the law on what should happen to in various elections in these states because you are risking it all by using these unilateral processes that can be challenged all the way to the Supreme Court. No, and I think if the through line is that it, you you don't change the rules that have been set by the state legislature, then then I think people should be able to live with that. So you're going to get one result in Pennsylvania and a different result in Wisconsin, not based on the partisan breakdown, but based on what actually was the state of the law passed by the the state's legislature. Am I reading that correctly? No, that's correct. And that's yeah. hard to live with because a lot of Republican state legislators uh, resisted the idea of doing anything to loosen voting restrictions in light of the pandemic. But those were fights that were fought and settled essentially last spring. I I, I hate to tell you this. uh, The only answer at this point is to get the ballots in before Election Day. And that's why I say if you have an absentee ballot, do not put it in the mail at this point. Do not. Find out where your local elections office is and hand it off in person. Go stand in line and early vote or vote on Election Day. Those are the choices at this point in time, if you're worried about this issue. I, and, I, and I think that's the response. That's the response that I'm picking up from around here is that, look, we still have a week to go. Um, you know, you know, you have to have your ballot in that, you know, in their hands by 8 PM next Tuesday. Okay. That shouldn't be that difficult. And so you have a voter education thing. I noticed a tweet from the head of the democratic party in Wisconsin who said, okay, we're just going to have to, he, he didn't like the decision, but we're just going to have to make sure that people understand uh, how to do this. And it is easy in a state like Wisconsin. I mean, there are ways you can drop the ballot off. There is in-person voting. And, you know, it feels so funny because it doesn't seem that long ago (laughs) that you only had one shot to vote, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that you had to show up on the day of the election. And now we have made it so easy to vote early and to make sure your ballot is in. It should not be a massive burden for people you know, knowing that, that you have seven days. Okay. You have seven days. So wait, wait, we didn't talk about why Brett Kavanaugh is an idiot. Okay. Why is Brett Kavanaugh an idiot? 
Well, the way he reasoned that was, was essentially saying, yeah, states set election law, but we need to have a result on election night. No, that is not a thing. That is not a thing. We don't actually have results on election night. We have projections, right? News organizations make projections about what will win. We don't actually know the result until days and weeks after. And so the fact that he would put that in a court opinion is extremely concerning. And it's like he still wants vengeance for these Bush v. Gore days, because I, you know, I think at his core, he's nothing well, but a Republican Bush uh, bro who is living to relitigate that election. Well, let me just read you what he wrote, because I, I, I did pull it up here. So he talks about the the Wisconsin law that saying that, that you have to have the vote in uh, by election day rather than mailed by election day. And this, this, he writes, those states want to avoid the chaos and suspicions of impropriety that can ensue if thousands of absentee ballots flow in after Election Day and potentially flip the results of an election. So here you have a Supreme Court justice who is uh, appearing to advance these baseless and false you know, notions that this is fraudulent or suspicious when in fact it's not, that there is not widespread fraud. All And those states also want to be able to definitively announce the results of the election on election night or as soon as possible thereafter, which of course, look, um, I know Trump is saying that we need to have the results on election night, but I think that everybody else has been pretty clear that the goal is not to announce them on def- definitively on election night. And by the way, no state definitively announces the results on election night because those are always unofficial results, right? I mean, you don't have the canvas until a few days later. So it's only Trump who's saying that. And then he goes on to say, moreover, particularly in a presidential election, counting all the votes quickly can help the state promptly resolve any disputes, address any need for recounts, and begin the process of canvassing and certifying the election, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Then he goes on to say, the states are aware of the risk described by some professor. Late arriving ballots open up one of the greatest risks of what might in our era of hyperpolarized political parties and existential politics destabilize the election result. If the apparent winner the morning after the election ends up losing due to late arriving ballots, charges of a rigged election could explode. Mm. So uh, this is from the Supreme Court decision. I mean, from his dissent or his what is concurrence. The longer after Election Day any significant changes in vote totals take place, the greater the risk that the losing party will cry the election has been stolen, which, of course, is very likely what Donald Trump's strategy would be if this is not a blowout election. But also, if you follow Kavanaugh's reasoning, he makes it much easier for someone to actually disrupt and steal an election because all you would have to do is find a way somehow to hold up votes that were mailed in. He, he's saying even if it's postmarked by election day, they're not counted unless you get it in under the buzzer. I, that's just ridiculous. That is ridiculous to think, to say that, okay, well, if somehow your ballot doesn't find the way to where it's supposed to go through no fault of your own, but maybe by a malicious actor, too bad, so sad. Yeah. So tell me what you're what, what you're looking at right now in, in the final seven days. You know, we started off by talking about sort of the anxiety because there's not much left to be done. We keep waiting. Is there going to be some news development? Is there going to be some late October surprise? Trump has tried 
everything. I mean, I, I really get the sense of a guy who's pressing every single button that he can imagine. You know, he tried to get the Department of Justice to launch investigations. Very frustrated with the FBI. He's going to fire the FBI director after the election. He's frustrated with Bill Barr. He tried the Bobolunsky gambit, you know, um, bringing out Hunter Biden. Um, that didn't necessarily work. Uh, he's brokered Middle East peace, which I don't think has changed the, the dynamic of this. He confirmed a Supreme Court justice. From his point of view, I mean, he's he's like he's hitting every button, pulling every cord, and none of it feels like it's changing the trajectory of this race. Well, number one, I, I do think it's remarkable how quickly they've abandoned the Hunter Biden smear, even after they got everyone in conservative media to go along with this disgusting nonsense. And I mean, one of the I, I guess I think we can talk about this on the podcast um, because other people in regular news don't want to talk about it. The through line of that was connecting Hunter Biden to pizza, another Pizzagate type thing, right? Oh, something bitch. on the laptop, something like that's, that's where that road ended. That's where they wanted it to go. And if you look at these scumbags like Molly Hemingway, she's still pushing it. They all know full well, that's where this goes. Um, so I, I wish there would be a reckoning um, for the people who went down that and they went down a road that Donald Trump himself abandoned because it was too scuzzy and backfired. Um, Because after that debate, he tried to fire that gun and it just, it just wouldn't go. He couldn't land a punch on Biden. And so I just dance all dance all over their grave on that one because that, that thing is dead, gone, a terrible misfire and we should make a bigger deal out of that. Um, uh, you, you mentioned there ought to be a reckoning, and and I, I just want I just want to you know for the record for people who wonder what do you never Trumpers think is going to happen, um, and I only speak for myself here. It's like I I I don't expect anything to happen after the election. Okay, that that's not the way I'm. But I mean, did you read uh, Olivia Nuzzi's piece about the um the the the, the self hating tortured self justification of a Trump enabler? Did you I read did. that? It was hard it's, to read. I mean, she's a beautiful writer. It's a smart no, piece, but it was it, hard to read. It, 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 it is great. So, so they quote at one point this guy who's rationalizing going full Vichy on all of this, you know, and he talks about, look, um, you know, what was I supposed to do? Um, you know, for officials whose identities are defined by the the uh, you know the principles they serve. Uh, that's that's P A L the the bosses, um, like this Republican. The choice can look like uh, abiding almost anything to maintain proximity to power. Everyone loves power, as he put it. Um, the alternative would be defecting to the never Trump wilderness. And then then he's quoted as saying, those people are delusional grifters. Trump is going to lose and the Democrats are going to look at those assholes and say, get the fuck out of here, you Bush loving warmongers. And um, yeah, he, he may be right about that because you know what? Um, I'm never Trump, not because I expected to be greeted by open arms by the Democrats. That's not going to happen. I am not going to have a seat at the table. I get it. I understand that we're going to be pariahs on the Republican Party, that the people who have been the enablers will be able to um, morph really, you know, painlessly back into the conservative movement and that we will be regarded as the heretics and we will still be out in the wilderness because no. The Democrats are not going to say, hmm, what are your ideas about public policy now? And frankly, I don't care. I don't care. I'm sorry. There, There is no 
There are no parties. There are no Georgetown parties. There is no grift. And by the way, being called a grifter by by these folks is like rich, rich, rich. Oh my gosh! When you look at the salaries of these people at Sinclair, and all these people get oh, paid yeah. to, you know, but whatever. You couldn't pay me enough. You, there's not enough money in the world for you or me to go. No, see, that's that's Trump. it. And 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 you know what? If we are quote unquote irrelevant, that's okay. So let me, I, let me address something that is kind of yeah. a through line for all these people yeah. that went along with it and how they try to depict people like you and me. I've I've read this a few times, and it's like okay. You never Trumpers want to go back to the Bush era warmongering days, something, something. They act like we want to go back to how it was. Yeah. No. That is not true. Listen, it is never, never, never going to be the same after Trump. And it's not just because of Trump. Let's talk about some of the institutions that have been demolished in the Trump years. Guess what? NRA is gone. They don't have the political power they once did. Hmm. Um, look at the evangelical movement. Liberty, that place has been destroyed, essentially, in terms of organizing politics after what Falwell did. I mean, we can go down the line of other organizations that provided institutional support and air cover and organizing political power on the ground for the Republican movement. It's largely been decimated. Those, those days of the Bush era, they are gone. We're never going back. And whatever comes next will be completely remade. Charlie, I think you and I are willing. We say burn it to the ground because we're ready to start over. Yeah. Um, you know, look at issues. You know, we're talking about voting rights, things that we never had really been concerned about before. New coalitions are coming. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, we we are the new era by any means because people that seek to hold uh, structures accountable are never in charge of those structures. It just doesn't work that way. I don't have any interest in doing that kind of role. Um, but it, it's never going to be the same. Trumpism will be with us for a long time. There will be forces that try to organize uh, and try to resurrect his image, whether it's in one year or in five years and continue campaigning like that. But we'll, we'll see how successful they can be because I look at the early voting numbers um, I see the Trump strategy of marketing the Republican Party as a structure that's only attractive to rural white areas and is not competitive in cities, is not competitive in suburbs, is barely competitive in expert excerpts. I don't see a winning coalition there. No, I don't um, either. No, and the, the question is how how quickly that future catches up with them, which is why you know we're, we've been talking about Texas and Georgia because that's that is the future like right now for this this party. So I, you know, by the way, you were you were on with Rick Santorum last night. No, we got canceled. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but yeah, I wanted to hear. This is going to happen, I think, because they've tried to organize this talk. Well, I want to hear this four, four times now. And so I expect it will happen to talk about the future of the Republican Party, um, which well, I think is ashes and Trumpism. So uh, one of the things that I had to do yesterday, because I was writing this piece about uh, the, the the Trump, the, 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 the Trump second term would basically be a big middle finger because he has no agenda. He's, he's not even pretending to have an agenda. Um, so it's all about basically that, you know, the, the Democrats on the left are terrible and everything. So I had to listen to. Ben Shapiro's endorsement video. And Ben Shapiro is an interesting case. There's a whole bunch of these guys like Ben Shapiro, um, uh, Eric Erickson, um, 
uh, who else? Uh, some of these people who are very, very strongly anti-Trump who've decided that that now they're pro-Trump. And there's a story that Shapiro tells himself. I mean, everybody has to have a thing you tell yourself, the voice in your head. And what he tells himself is that, yes, um, Donald Trump has a, is a man of very low character. Um, you know, he's, he says stupid things. He's very mendacious. But all the damage that he's going to do from the lack of character has already been done. So it's the new status quo. The damage that Trump has done to the country on a character and rhetorical level has already been done and cannot be undone. So again, whatever damage he was going to do has already been done. So there's just no, no reason not to vote for him again. As I wrote today, that's a Vesuvius of wrongness. It is so completely wrong because, of course, Donald Trump can always get worse. He can always do more damage. There is no bottom. And there's a big difference between eight years and four years. You think about the damage that he has done to the country, to the culture, to the conservative movement in four years. You double that and say, yeah, that's, that's not that much worse. It's like going out on a binge. It's like one thing, you know, to drink tequilas for one hour as opposed to, you know, drink it, you know, every hour for a week. <laughs> and, and you know, I mean, really, when you think about it, you know, we're four years in and Trump's tweeting conspiracy theories about SEAL Team 6 and Republicans are like, yeah, yeah, so what? That's, that's okay. So what's the next four years going to be like? I mean, for two years, you can go along with it. And it's kind of like a bargain. Four years, it becomes a habit. Eight years, it becomes the culture. I mean, it and, and, and it becomes indelible. The stain is just, I don't think you can wipe it out now, but his whole notion that, yeah, he's a terrible, terrible man, but he's done all the damage he's going to do. Are you kidding me? Do you know anything about history? <laughs> what a second yeah. term would be like? Yeah. Bad character leads to bad decision-making. Yeah. That, that's the beginning. You cannot separate the tweets from the policy. It, how long have we been playing this game? I know. This is sort of what led me to write a piece for the Bulwark yesterday about what Donald Trump's legacy actually will be. Um, to hear yeah, people, me, that like was a ben great Allen, piece. They're they're going to go out and say it's tax cuts and judges. Right. No, it's not. No, it's not. That is not what we, as an American public, will be grappling with in the days after Trump. The things that are going to last, that are going to cause us problems for years and years to come, are number one, COVID, which we are here now in this terrible pandemic. That will last more than a year at least. We're going to be dealing with this because of Trump's bad decision making. But then also this QAnon style conspiracy thinking that dominates Republican politics and conservative media. I mean, these are the problems that Trump has caused, and we are going to have to find a way to fix. And there's no amount of tax cuts and judges that can fix that for us. How many months are we going to be locked in our homes? Um, how many congressional candidates are going to go to Congress? Um, believing absurd ideas that like mass shootings were hoaxes. I mean, this is really kind of the gate, the new gateway thinking, I think, for people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Laura Loomer, who, guess what? Donald Trump voted for if he did indeed vote for a straight Republican ticket in West Palm Beach, as he said he did on Saturday. Um, by the way, when I was researching that piece, did you know there's videos of Marjorie Taylor Greene essentially stalking David Hogg, one of the Parkland kids that became an anti-gun oh, activist. No. Chasing him down on Capitol Hill. Um, he was there having some meetings. She's there with a video camera chasing him down, saying, how dare, we, how dare you take away my right to own a gun? I have a right to defend myself. How are you getting these meetings with senators? Are you funded by George Soros? It is crazy. 
that's well, the future of Republican politics. Guess what? We're going to be dealing with that for years. We, we are going to be dealing with it. And this, that, that corruption of the conservative mind, you know, I wrote a book about it four years ago. And I look back on it and think about how bad things felt back in 2016. They are exponentially worse now. And, and, and the, 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 the line of where we're going on all of this and the way information is, is spread, the fact that, and you're right about the QAnon, I mean, that it's such a huge portion of the Republican electorate is open to those ideas. I mean, this is, things were bad 40 years ago. They're worse now. Four more years of this being embraced by the Republican Party, the damage is just absolutely incalculable. Yeah, I'm I, motivated from the conservative media. I, I we have to really talk about how conservative media working in support of rotten Republican politics has become this, frankly, scary, self-fulfilling propaganda machine. Okay, I, I, I got an interesting a, a text message from a very prominent media type last night, late, late last night. So I'm 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 going back and forth with this guy while I'm I'm lying in bed. And he says, just honestly, do the people who are pushing some of these, and he mentioned one of the conspiracy theories, do they actually believe this stuff or are they just saying it? I mean, in private, do they go, hey, it's bullshit, but I have to say all this. And I'll, I, you can answer. But my, my answer to him was, I really can't tell you anymore because, you know, this tribalism really becomes like a habit and a drug. And that after a while, you just will say things that help your team and hurt the other guy. And it becomes almost reflexive what they actually believe or whether they even thought about it in terms of whether it's true or not. I honestly can't tell you anymore. What is your sense of that? I would break it down into thirds. I think a third of it is catering to the audience. Just fan service fan service and and let's be honest um hardcore conspiracy minded people don't spend a lot of time away from the internet and television right so it's 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 a nice reliable audience um i've seen that in the talk radio i've done the people that call in the messages you get it, it is a thing i'd say another third of it has to do with just vengeance and feeling screwed by barack obama and Maybe something, something they were mean to Mitt Romney and his dog. So I am going to go to war against Hunter Biden. Yeah, they lied about my guy. So I'm going to say this. And even though it's a lie, they have it coming. Right. And this is how this is how you win. Politics is hardball. And if you don't like it, you should just get out because you're not tough enough to do this. Like there's this toughness. Like, look at how bad I am. Um, And then a third of them believe it or are curious enough to ask questions, right? That's always the out. I'm just asking questions. I I don't know if it's right, but it sure looks funny. Um, Those are probably, I don't, I don't want to call them ethical, but the people that try to keep it at arm's length, but they can't resist getting into it because the other two thirds are going along with it and they have to play catch up. So the people who are the most disingenuous, who kind of want it both ways, yes, yeah, are, are on this ethical scale the most ethical. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is really the wrong word for it because well, I, know, all I know what you meant, though. Minded cowards. Yeah, they're, they're, um, they're, they're the least them totally with awful. Every fiber of my being. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're the least totally totally awful people out there. Well, because you're right, and this is going to be with us for a very very long time, and. It's um, and, and the degree to which Trump himself has given encouragement, oxygen, poured kerosene, whatever cliche you want on all of this cannot be overstated 
because you know there was a time when you would have responsible leaders who would say, "Hey guys, let's not go there. Let's not do that." Um, but here's something that is legitimate. That's just completely broken down, and that that's where I think the the sort of the, the habit of of acquiescence has been established on, in the Republican Party. But give it another four years, and you're going to have an entire generation of Republicans that won't remember when that wasn't the way things were done. I mean, I just I can't get Chris Christie out of my head. Okay, tell me about Chris that. Christie. He was he was at the first Amy Coney Barrett Super Spreader event, yep. got sick, went into hospital for a week. I mean, you know, this guy was staring down the barrel of a ventilator, wondering if this thing is going to get shoved down my oh, throat. Yeah. yeah, he was in ICU. That's bad. That's I don't want anywhere near that. Not in a hundred years. And then he comes out. Writes an op-ed, goes on television, says, wow, I was wrong. We should really wear a mask. But still can't turn against the guy who politicized wearing them in the first place. I mean, this is a loyalty death cult. There's no other word for it. A loyalty death cult. Yep. This Feeds is the strength by risking coronavirus infection. Well, this is one of the Enjoy. reasons why I, I, am, I am not among those people who are freaking out about all of this that uh, that I'm I'm watch I'm watching the president's last week strategy and and it, it's it's very high energy stuff and we got to give him credit I mean he is doing these these rallies you know three times a day while Joe Biden is much more leisurely uh, paced and we'll, we could second guess that after the election but I'm watching the local coverage of each of these things and normally when you come and you parachute into a state you get positive coverage right the coverage is is seems to be negative on on two different levels. Number one, what the president says is often wrong or absolutely crazy. And number two, people are going, um, "Guy, uh, these are super spreader events." You have half of America that's looking at this with absolute horror. So uh, you you have no closing argument, and you have you have events that remind you. On a regular, on a daily, multiple, you know, times a day, of the president's most egregious failure, and I, I know that Republicans are trying to talk themselves into thinking that they've changed the game, and you know, it's you, you, I'm sure you read some of the same thing. The debate was the game changer, or Joe Biden's gaffe about the oil companies. Well, that was the game changer. Okay, well, the Middle East peace is the game changer. Uh, okay, maybe the Amy Coney Barrett thing is a, none of it's a game changer in a country in which you are trending toward 300 400,000 dead Americans because of this because of the magical thinking of this president. Yeah, on a small scale, I've kind of seen the effect that these rallies have in areas and this has happened to me twice now where I've gone into the grocery store. I live in a Republican area. I live in a rural place where somebody rolls into the parking lot. It's always from what I've seen an older white man um, in a truck with the Trump flags, once with the Confederate flag uh, positioned with it, rolls into the parking lot, goes right to the front, and everyone else in the parking lot looks and backs away. Really, this it's kind of like, ooh. Like, there's immediate just from regular people saying, oh, I need to step away from that. Um, one of the times this happened, I saw the guy roll into the parking lot. Then he came into the store where I was. I was at checkout. Uh, no mask, Trump hat, hacking, coughing. And then again, everybody stepped away. Um, you know, so I, I see these overt displays of Trumpism and then you watch the people around and it's, it has a repulsive effect. 
No, I think that's exactly right. It is a repulsive effect. Okay, so Amanda Carpenter, one week to go. Are you going to be on our live stream or, or are you going to be in your live stream? You're, you're a big uh, time TV star, so I know you have other obligations. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, if they want me to be there, I will be there. Well, we want, we want, I think that we want to be there. I, I actually think that, you know, I was thinking about the live stream that we're going to be doing, that there are going to be really probably no election night parties and often, you know, after some, you want to be around people and everything. So um, maybe when people want to hang with us because, be you know, I mean, you can hang with us. We're going to do this virtually and it's going to be real time. And, and that's going to uh, be Bulwark Plus for people signed Bulwark, up for Bulwark Plus, ride or die. That's right. Ride or die. Bulwark Plus. Amanda Carpenter, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again. There are just seven days to go until Election Day. <laughs>